for the game? It's a really quiet excitement. <laughs> Who doesn't care about the game? <laughs> nice, a lot of ladies. Uh, last thing I forgot is uh, just as a thanks for being on the team for Mosaic, everyone's gonna get one of these footballs today. So think fast and catch. Oh, interception, good job, good job. Uh, today we're kicking off uh, a brand new series called Better Together, uh, Better Together. Because we believe that we truly are better together. It's better to do life with others and we can get more done and more accomplished together than by ourselves. And what's great is that everyone is welcome. Everyone is invited into the family of God, onto his team. It doesn't matter if you're a Vikings fan or a Packers fan, which I don't see any Packers jerseys this morning. That's amazing. Uh, or a, you know, you like to cheer for winners like the Seahawks. Can I get a witness? Anyone? Okay, thanks. Uh, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Not perfect. We like to say we're cool with that. Uh, we welcome Seahawks fans, Packer fans, Bears fans, Vikings fans, maybe Patriot fans. I don't know. Broncos fans for sure. Uh, all are welcome into God's family because we are truly better together. It's better to be on a championship team than just simply watching one. I remember the very first time that I was on a team. I was six years old playing t-ball. Anyone else play t-ball? That's what your first sport? Yeah. So I think we have a picture of it. Go ahead and put that up. Aren't I cute? Can you find me? Right there in the middle. My name's on my hat. Uh, Eric. I get, I'm holding up the Maple Grove sign. Uh, this was the very first team I was on. Uh, so random fact, do you have any K-Fan listeners out there? Yeah. Do you know Tenaby? He's on the yeah, he's on my team in the back row, and that's Tenaby's dad was our coach. Just weird and random. Uh, on the back corner, that's my uh, best friend, Joshua, who lived next door to me. Uh, my son's named after him. And then my other good friend, Darren, who we ended up being in a band together in high school. And that was our very first time being on a team. And we went undefeated. We were amazing t-ball team. And actually, the next year, we were on the same Little League team, and we were undefeated too. So that was like the best year of my sports career. I was uh, six and seven years old. Uh, we were great. We actually made the newspaper because we were so good. Uh, I think because Tenaby's dad was a really good coach. Uh, but man, it was, it was so much fun to be on a team. And what's great is that Jesus invites us to be on his team. Jesus was winsome. Everyone wanted to be on Jesus' team. People liked Jesus. They wanted to be around him. And what that means is that if you're here today and you're not very religious or you're just kind of checking things out and, and you're here or any other Sunday and you feel anything other than loved and accepted by us, that's our problem, not our Savior's problem. That's on us, not on Jesus. Because Jesus was totally welcoming of those that were different from him. He was extraordinarily comfortable with people that were different from him. Jesus would like you. Jesus would not be put off by your sin. That even though Jesus knows your thoughts, he would still be comfortable being around you. And to me, that's an amazing thought. Jesus was extraordinary. And what's cool is that we have four different accounts of Jesus. We have more information about Jesus than any other religious figure. We have four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And now Matthew and John were eyewitnesses of Jesus. They were followers of Jesus and then wrote down what happened. Mark spent a lot of time with Peter, kind of the leader of the disciples, and then later wrote down Peter's thoughts and accounts, and that's the book of Mark. And then Luke 
Uh, we've been going through the book of Luke now uh, since December, and we learned that Luke carefully investigated um, his gospel account and went around for a couple of years and talked to eyewitnesses and said, hey, did it really happen this way? And what's cool is that some of the stories we have of Jesus, we get different angles of them because they're found in uh, different gospels that the different authors record them. That's really cool. See, Matthew, Matthew, our first gospel that we get in the New Testament, Matthew primarily wrote to religious Jewish people. And these Jewish people already had a really big faith, so they didn't need a lot of details. So a lot of times Matthew just kind of, he kind of skims on the details and just kind of tells the broad brushstrokes. But because of that, Matthew sometimes gives us an unrealistic picture of what it means to follow Jesus. And we're going to look at this story today, and we're going to look first at Matthew's account of the story. Then we're going to look at how does Luke talk about this story. Now, Matthew's account of this story in the Gospel of Matthew is honestly the one that I heard growing up uh, mostly. And and honestly, it kind of freaked me out because I thought, whoa, I I can't do that. And, And maybe... Maybe that's where you are today. Maybe you've heard, this is what it means to follow Jesus, and this is what it's like, and you're like, whoa, that is just too crazy of a step of faith. Well, this morning we're going to look again, like I said, at Matthew's account of this story, and then we're going to look at Luke. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me. We're going to start first in Matthew 4, and then we're going to jump to Luke 5. So Matthew 4, verses 18 through 22, and I'll be reading out of the ESV version. Uh, The scriptures will also be up here behind me. Matthew 4, verse 18. Let's talk about Jesus. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, big sea, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. I remember hearing this story and being like, wait, what? Like you're out working, you're doing your job. And then some guy stops by and says, hey, come follow me. And you drop whatever you're doing and you follow him. Like, that's kind of crazy, right? Well, it gets worse. Verse 21. And going on from there, he saw two brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father. Two brothers, they're fishing, they're doing a business with their dad, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. End of story. That's Matthew's account. Now, this doesn't seem spiritual to me. This seems irresponsible, right? Like, here's these four guys, they're working, they're doing a job with their dad. It's like, hey, dad, some guy in sandals invite us to follow him. So goodbye, we're leaving the business. Tell mom we love her, you know, see you later. Like, that's kind of Matthew's account. Like, what? What is going on here? And growing up, I heard this a lot. Like, this is a favorite passage for, like, youth groups and youth conventions, things like that. It's like, if you love Jesus, you're going to leave everything and follow him. If Jesus isn't Lord of all, then he can't be Lord at all, (laughs) you know? And as a teenager, it's kind of like, well, maybe we'll go with not at all then. Because like, what? Can I finish high school? Or do I need to like leave everything now and like go overseas? Or can I go to college? Like, what does this even mean? The good news is that's not the whole story. Now, what Matthew says is true, but there's more to the story. And that's why I love Luke. Luke comes along and he carefully investigates. And he's writing not to Jewish people who have a lot of faith and, and, and already know God. But he's writing to people like you and I, Gentiles, who need a little bit more details. And Luke kind of gives us the rest of the story. So let's turn to Luke chapter 5, verse 1. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. That's just another name for the Sea of Galilee. So it's like, oh, okay, 
Thanks, Matthew. There's more going on here. Jesus isn't just kind of walking by and he's like, come follow me. And they're like, okay. Like Jesus is there. He's standing there. He's preaching to the people, preaching this powerful message. See, following Jesus always begins with information. Following Jesus always begins with listening. It begins with information. This is really important. Because if you're part of a religion or even a church that says, don't ask questions, just believe. It's just blind faith. You need to run away. (laughs) See, real Christianity is built on truth. It's built on listening. It's not built on blind faith. It's built on truth and the teaching of Jesus. So Jesus, he's standing there and he's, he's teaching and he's preaching at the water's edge and the crowds are gathering around because he's preaching life and truth and people are like, man, I'm interested in what Jesus has to say. And so Jesus is kind of, he keeps backing up and backing up because the crowds are pressing in and pretty soon his toes are getting wet because he's in the water and he's like, what am I going to do? Verse two. And he saw two boats by the lake but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. So quick history lesson. Back in Jesus' day, fishermen would fish at night. And once they had finished their work, they would pull their nets out and they'd stretch them between like two big poles so they could dry out and clean them off. So they're pulling off the seaweed and, the, you know, the beer bottles and the sunglasses that have fallen in the water, everything they've caught like in their nets. And they're cleaning their nets and they're listening to Jesus as he preaches. So these fishermen, they're out there on the beach kind of pulling the stuff off listening to Jesus, and Jesus says that their boats are, are sitting there. At this time, Peter, he's listening, and he's not really in the crowd listening to Jesus. He's also not one of the committed yet. He's somewhere in between the crowd and the committed. I think today, in, in, here this morning, and in all our churches, we have people that are in the crowd. We have people that are committed, and then somewhere in between. So maybe this morning you're you're in the crowd and you're just kind of here, you're just kind of listening. Maybe you're one of the committed followers of Jesus. Or maybe you're somewhere in between. You're like, ah, I'm not really sure. And see, Peter, he's listening to Jesus teach, but they'd actually met before. This isn't the first time that Peter's met Jesus. Um, at the end of chapter four of Luke's gospel, uh, kind of right before this, we saw that actually Jesus went into Peter's house and he healed Peter's mother-in-law. And in fact, I read this week that some scholars think that's why Peter ended up denying him later. Because he healed his mother-in-law? No? Don't? Okay. Come on, people. Wake up. All right. That was funny. I love my mother-in-law, but come on. All right. There we go. We're good. There we go. Uh, But truly, the greatest opportunities come when you're obedient in unexpected opportunities. And that's what we're going to see here with Peter, is that he's an unexpected opportunity to respond to Jesus. Verse 3. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. This is important. Jesus said, hey, hey Peter, can I borrow your boat? Can I inconvenience you a little bit? And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. See, faith comes from hearing. Following begins with listening. Faith is built around content, around information, getting your questions answered. See, in this time, along the lake shore, uh, close to Capernaum, there's this sequence of deep kind of inlets along the, the Sea of Galilee and like, kind of zigzagging around, and they form these like natural amphitheaters. And even today, you could take a boat out, and your voice will carry much farther across the water and in these kind of natural valleys than if you're even just standing close to someone. And so Jesus, he, he, he's realizing the crowd is growing, so I'm gonna get on a boat and my voice will carry and, and you can hear it better. And so he's just kind of using what's around him and the, and the availability of a boat. 
Verse 4. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon. Now, he's done preaching. He's preaching an awesome message. Now, Peter could have turned, or Jesus could have turned to Peter and said anything. He could have said, hey, Peter, that was a pretty good sermon, right? Why don't you come follow me now? But Jesus doesn't ask him to leave everything and follow him right then and there. Here's what Jesus does. He says, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. He said, hey, let's go into the deeper water and and let your nets down and let's see what happens. Jesus is asking Peter to do something he's done a thousand times before. This is what he does. But Jesus is asking him to do it in a way that's different than Peter has ever done it before. In verse 5, Peter answered, Master, we toiled all night and we took nothing. It's like, Jesus, we just cleaned and dried out our nets. This is like, you like to go four-wheeling and you take your, car, you know, your truck in and you got it all cleaned off. Someone's like, let's go out and get dirty again. It's like, I just put her away. Like, come on. Like, I just cleaned all my nets. But he's also respectful. Jesus is a rabbi, but there's rabbis everywhere. So Peter just kind of uses a general term of respect. Like, he just calls him master. It's like, you know, just kind of a general Jedi master term of respect for Jesus here. And see, Simon did what he was supposed to do. Fished when he was supposed to do it at night. See, the Sea of Galilee, it's a very deep sea. And so what would happen is at nighttime, the fish would come up to the surface. And so the fishermen would come out at night and they'd put down their nets and, they, and they'd catch the fish as they're coming up. But as the sun came up and the sea started to warm up, the fish would go down to the bottom of the sea where it was cooler. And, and so you didn't fish during the day. Just something you didn't do. It didn't make any sense. So Peter and his brother Andrew and their friends James and John, they've been fishing all night, but... This time they haven't caught anything. But Jesus is saying, hey, Peter, let's go fishing when you're not supposed to go fishing. I want you to try it my way. Jesus is asking him to do something. He's done a thousand times. But he's asking him to do it in a way different than he's ever done it before. He's like, Peter, try it out my way. We don't know what Peter is thinking. He might be thinking, like, clearly a carpenter knows nothing about fishing. Like, this is not how you do it, Jesus. You know, Jesus, you're a good preacher. You gather a crowd. There's a great message. But honestly, this whole crowd is kind of looking at me now. And if I go and drop some nets out in the middle of the day, they're going to think I'm a little crazy. What was at stake for Peter at this moment? Whether or not he could trust Jesus. Could he trust Jesus? So what does he say? He says, but at your word, I will let down the nets. He's like, Jesus, I hope you understand. I wouldn't do this for anyone else. But because I trust you just enough, I'm going to do it. And what hung in the balance for Simon's life? Everything. Pretty much the reason we know who Peter is today is because he took this step of faith right here to trust Jesus and to follow him. And for some of you, maybe that's where you are today. You've been around Jesus, and maybe he's even done something great in your life. Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law, and he's heard him teach and preach. But maybe you're at this kind of crossroads of like, can I really trust Jesus or not? Now imagine if Jesus would have just kind of pulled back the curtain and was like, all right, Peter, let me show you your future. Here's what's at stake. Go and put that picture up. Now imagine Jesus could have said, all right, look at this picture. You know what this is? This is St. Peter's Basilica. Peter's like, what? You're going to be St. Peter. He's like, what? That's your tomb. 
what? It's going to take 118 years to build that bad boy. Go to the next slide. Jesus is like, this is the inside of your tomb. Like, this is the chapel. Look how amazing that is. I've been there. It's incredible. Go to the next one. Like, it is opulent, amazing. Jesus could have said, this is what you have at stake. If you follow me, you're going to be known as St. Peter. Everyone's going to know who you are. You have this amazing chapel built for you. You know, Peter's going to be like, yeah, man, take anything. You can have my boat. Like, this is awesome. This is great, right? But Jesus doesn't do that. (laughs) And same for us. He doesn't pull back the curtain and and say what is at stake for us. He doesn't show us what's going to come down our future if we choose to follow him. See, Peter and his three friends, just like you and me, had no idea what hung in the balance in a single decision to do something they'd done a thousand times before, but to do it in a way different than they'd done it before. Verse six. And when they had done this, not when they had believed it, not when they had thought it, not when they had intended it, not when they had prayed it, when they had done this. See, doing is what makes the difference. Verse six, and when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. Verse seven, they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that when they began to sink, but when Simon Peter saw it, now what do you think he did? What do you think Peter did? He could have been like, dad, check out all these fish. We don't have to work for four weeks. We need to go into business. Like let's get a frozen truck to ship out all this fish. Like this is amazing. Verse eight, But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. It's no longer about fish. In that moment, Peter saw who Jesus really was. And Peter saw who he himself really was. And this is the beginning of Peter's relationship with Jesus. Up until then, they'd spent time shoulder to shoulder But it wasn't until he took this practical step of faith that Peter's eyes were opened. And he's like, I'm in the presence of my Lord. Jesus goes from just another rabbi, just another master, to his Lord. Oh, Lord. Verse 9. And he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. Jesus is telling Peter and Andrew and James and John, I have something for you. I have a future and a hope for you. But I couldn't tell you until you did something I asked you to do. Until you took that step of faith. Now you can trust me when I tell you that I have a future for you. See, it all hung in the balance with a single decision. Verse 11. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. These fishermen became followers. And they chose to follow Jesus with only the, the smallest idea of, of what their future held. But in that moment, they said, yes, I will follow you. And you and I, we would have done the same thing. But not just because Jesus called them and they came. They listened. They inconvenienced themselves. They took a single step of faith Then they were ready ready to leave their nets and follow Jesus. To which we kind of want to say to Matthew, like, Matthew, if you told us all of that, like, this would have made a whole lot more sense. Like, 
it's, it's good to, you know, Matthew's count is good, but Luke, he fills in those details for us. And in this story, I see four phases of following. And I think all of us are somewhere in these four phases. Number one, you're in the, the sit and listen phase. That's, that's where the crowd was. And they just came to sit and listen to Jesus. And maybe that's where you are today. You just came today. You've taken a step to follow Jesus. You walked in these doors. And following Jesus always starts with information. Let me, let me hear more about this, this Jesus. Because I kind of know about him, but, you know, I, don't, I haven't really pursued him. I just kind of know what culture says about Jesus. So who is this guy, Jesus? Christianity is not just about blind faith. And so maybe for you, the best thing you can do is just come back next week as we explore more about who Jesus is. Maybe you're just in the sit and listening phase. Number two, maybe you're at, you're at the, the loan him the boat phase. You're willing to, you know, be a little bit inconvenienced by Jesus. You've heard us talk about starting point, our, our once a month class, getting more about, you know, learning more about mosaic. And you're like, yeah, that's kind of inconvenience. I got to find a babysitter or whatever. Um, or you've heard us talking about, you know, make time in your schedule to do life with others. Get in a small group. You're like, yeah, that's an inconvenience. Maybe your next step is to just kind of, you're loaning your boat to Jesus. You're like, you know what? All right. In this one area of my life, I'm willing to be inconvenienced. You know, some of you, maybe you need to just start reading your Bibles. Be inconvenienced by waking up 15 minutes earlier. And you're going to start your day by opening your Bibles and, and, and reading. It's just, what's that, that kind of that just next step? It's a little inconvenient, but you're loaning your boat to Jesus. Number three, the phase, of, you're taking him fishing. Take him fishing. And this is where it gets really exciting. Your heavenly father wants you to do something you've done thousands of times before, but to do it in a way you've never done before. Maybe it's a different approach to your finances. You've always spent everything that comes in, and I say, you know what? I'm going to try a different approach. I'm going to try saving. I'm going to try giving just a little bit and just kind of see how that goes. Maybe it's a different approach to your relationships. You're like, I've always dealt with people this way, uh, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try doing something differently. Maybe it's a different approach to your parenting or your relationship with your spouse. For a while, maybe you've been thinking, you know what? I just need to stop whatever that is for you. Or, you know what? I know I need to start. And the reality is if you're in this phase, I don't need to tell you what that is because you already know. You, you, you've been feeling that Still small voice. And maybe you've never considered approaching relationships the way, but now you are. It's, just, it's one change. But you have no idea what this one change can mean for your life. The decision to be more generous. The decision on how to handle your business. The decision on how to handle your relationships could have a huge impact on your life. And like Peter, you're going to realize, Jesus knows my name. Jesus cares about me. And your life will be different. Because what you have done, you've done what your Heavenly Father has invited you to do. Again, I don't have to tell you what this next step of faith is for you, because you already know it. But maybe you need to trust Jesus and to do something you've done a thousand times before, but to do it in a slightly different way. And the, the last phase is the faith, leave your nets. See, Peter and Andrew, James and John, when they came face to face with who they are and who Jesus was, they're at the place of leaving behind their old life and following Jesus. Maybe you're at a place where you said, I've honored God and God has honored that, but it's time to say, God, I surrender every aspect of my life to you. 
I want you, your will for my life in every area of my life. Not just a little inconvenience, but in every area of my life. Now, the point here in the phases is not to like grade yourself and be like, ah, oh, I'm somewhere between the two and the three. That's not it. The issue is, are you willing to take the next step? You want to take just whatever the next step is of faith and obedience and following Jesus. We don't know what hangs in the balance. See, it's the doing that makes the difference in your experience with your Heavenly Father. It's not just thinking about it. It's not just praying about it. It's actually doing what Jesus asks us to do. I know for me, when I look back on my life, there's so many times along my journey that I chose to say, yeah, okay, God, I really want to go to this school out in California, but you're, I feel like you're leading me to go to North Central University, which really has no campus, uh, to study to be a pastor. Okay. Or, you know, you want me to start driving out to Rogers from Minneapolis to start this new church out there. And in every step along the way, I didn't know what hung in the balance, but, but Jesus gently led me to that next step, to that next step, to that next step, which led me here today. And in your life, I'm sure you look back too, and you can see all these crossroads, these moments, where just taking that next step of following Jesus. And I encourage you, wherever you are today, take that next step to follow him, to open yourself up more to him. Maybe you're just at the sitting and listening, and you just need to get more, know more about Jesus. Maybe you've been kind of living life your own way, and, and there's some one area of your life, your finances, your relationships, your time management, you know what, I'm going to give up, I'm going to 15 minutes read my Bible. Or I'm going to change how I talk to my kids. Maybe there's just one little area. Or maybe you're at a place where you're like, man, I've been giving so much up to God, but there's a few parts of my life that I've been holding back. And it's not that you're going to be called in to serve a church or go overseas, but God will use your career, your life for his cause. You take that decision, you will be glad you did. If you don't, you'll never know what might have been in your finances, and your family, and your career. For those of us who have trusted Jesus and, and, and we're following him, Jesus is asking us to get out of the stands and get into the game. Today, most of us, we're, we're going to watch this great American tradition, the Super Bowl, right? We're going to gorge ourselves in food. We're going to rate the commercials. We're going to cheer for some football. I think football is a great metaphor for the church. See, you're going to have thousands of people in the stands watching on as 22 guys in the field, like give it their all, and everyone's going to kind of judge their performance and see how, you know, how are they doing. A lot of churches are that way. A few people doing everything while everyone kind of looks on. But it's much better to be on a championship team than just watching one. And if you're at a place where you are following Jesus and, and you've been taking the next step, and maybe you're kind of sitting on the stands, I want to encourage you, Get in the game. Just ask the question, how can I partner with God? How can I partner with Mosaic to just make a difference, to help others find and follow Jesus so that others can find hope and healing in their life? Do you have a cause that you are fighting for in your life? One thing I've learned is that if, if men especially don't have a cause, they will eventually face a crisis. See, if your life is just about yourself and building your portfolio, and you're just living for your bank account and your assets, 
you will face a crisis in your life. Because God has wired us up all to have a cause. And if we don't have some cause that we're fighting for, we're going to face some kind of crisis in our life. Because we've just been doing it for ourselves. And if you have a cause that you believe in, no devil in hell is going to get you to quit because you have a cause in your heart. A cause will make you stay up late at night, get up early, because you don't care who gets the credit. How can we stand around in complacency if we have a cause that we believe in? And I believe there's no greater cause than Christ. Do you have a cause in your life? See, my cause is Christ. And Christ's cause is his church. See, there's only one cause that he died for. He died for us. See, we're not a club. We're a cause. We're called to be fishers of men, to make a difference. See, Peter couldn't believe that Jesus could use someone like him. Peter said to God, to Jesus, get away from me. I'm not worthy of you. I'm not worthy of your investment. Because in that moment, Peter realized he didn't have a cause. He was just living life for himself. See, I think everyone goes through times where they feel like they're not worthy. So we push Jesus away. I'm not worthy of your love, Jesus. I'm not worthy of your attention. So push, we push him away. But Jesus showed Peter his new net worth. That is my awesome joke right there. Peter, Jesus showed Peter what he was really worth. And Peter didn't really get it for a few years. But later, after Jesus died on the cross, rose again, they're back on the same beach. And Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? Yes, of course. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Which is Jesus' way of saying, be about my cause. And Peter gave his life for that cause. See, value is proven by investment. See, Jesus didn't just stretch out his arms and die for something worthless. Jesus didn't give his hands, his life at the hands of of sinful men for something worthless. For everyone who's felt worthless, I want you to know that your value was proven by the price that was paid for you, by the fact that Jesus would die for you. I want you to know that you are worth it because Jesus came and he died for you. You are are worth it. See, Jesus picks someone who wasn't even good at their job. Peter, he goes out there and he comes back with an empty boat. Jesus could have picked some fisherman with a, with a full boat and be like, oh, that guy, he's a go-getter. He's really good at his job. But see, the problem is, a fisherman with a full boat, there wouldn't have been any place for Jesus to sit. See, Jesus had to find an empty boat. He can't use people full of themselves. <laughs> Saying, oh, I'm so awesome. I'm the best. <laughs> Jesus finds broken, hurting people who think they're worthless. He says, no, you are worthy of my investment in you. You're worthy of my love. See, it was Peter and James and John's failure that positioned them for their future. And maybe... Today, you're feeling the weight and consequences of your failures. But that's okay. Because Jesus will use your failures to set you up for your future so that it's not about you, it's about him. 
Jesus invites us to join his family, to join his cause. When Jesus met Peter, he said, you were washing nets, but now you're going to be my nets. I want you to ask, what is Jesus worth to you? Would you rather have a net full of fishes that you can't keep or a cause that can't be taken away? I invite the band to come up. What's your because? Peter said, because Jesus, you said so, I will trust you and I will let down my nets. What is your because? Your cause may not be, you know, the church or something else. Maybe it's something else that God has put on your heart. It's foster care or orphans or helping people who don't have access to good food or clean drinking water. Addicts, moms who feel worthless at home. I don't know what your cause is, but I believe God wired us all up to have a cause, something greater than ourselves. Why on earth are there people at Mosaic who get up and come here and go in the back and, and, and change diapers and wipe snotty noses and play with elementary age kids? Because they have a cause. Why on earth do people come at 7 a.m. to set up chairs and all the sound system and make coffee? Because they have a cause. Because they value the cause of Christ. I want to encourage you, if you've been sitting on the stands, to embrace the cause of Christ, to be a little inconvenience, to find your place, to join the team, because we truly are better together, and together we can make a difference, together we can be fishers of men and invite people to know this Jesus who loves us so much, who died for each one of us. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? I'm going to pray. Maybe this morning, as, as you hear this message, you've realized that you've just been listening to Jesus from a distance. And you want to accept his invitation to be in his family, to be a part of his cause. And you want to put your faith and trust in Jesus. If that's where you are, the Bible tells us that we need to believe that Jesus is God, to confess with our mouth, and then we will be saved. If you want to make that step of faith today, to go from just someone in the crowd to a, someone who's committed to following Jesus, just, you can just pray this prayer with, with me. There's no magic prayers, but I'll just give you the words and then you can pray this and uh, have Jesus be your salvation. Dear Jesus, I am a sinner like Peter, but Jesus, you died for me. I want to confess my sin and acknowledge I can't save myself. So Jesus, be my leader, be my savior, be my salvation. 
help me to follow you, to put my faith and trust in you. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me and welcoming me into your family. Amen. The Bible says that if you put your faith and trust in Jesus and you confess and acknowledge him as Lord, you will be saved. And if that's some decision you made this morning, I'd love to talk with you and just talk about next steps. You can mark that on your connection card if you want, and I'll just give you a call this week. Would you stand with me? We're going to close our service now with singing, with receiving an offering. You can drop off your connection card in the offering baskets they come by. This is also your chance to be generous, uh, to give back to God. Um, you can also give online if you'd like. I'm going to invite the ushers to come forward. I'm going to pray one more time, and then we'll go out of here singing. God, thank you for your unending generosity that you sent Jesus, the mighty warrior, the lion, the lamb, the one who fights for us. Thank you, God, that you invite us to, to follow you, to take that next step wherever we are. God, I pray that everyone this morning, myself included, every single one of us, God, that we would take that next step that you are inviting us to take. Whatever it is in our life, God, that we need to give over to you. Thank you for your faithfulness in our lives. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's receive the offering. Go out of her singing. May you know that Jesus proved your value by dying on the cross for you, that he didn't die for anything worthless, but he died for you. And so you are worth it. And he invites you to participate in his cause. Let's go out of here singing about our mighty God.